Welcome, everybody, to another Economics Happy Hour. My name's Matt. And I'm Jadrian. And we are excited. This is episode 12 that we're recording, and this is the first for us to have a special guest today. Joining us today is professor at Robert Morris University, Brian O'Rourke. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. I have to say this is kind of a fanboy experience. I've listened <laughs> to every episode, so uh, thanks for having me on. That's 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 why you're the first guest because <laughs> you you've you've listened. No, appreciate it. We've talked about your work before, and uh, Brian and Brian and I have done some YouTube videos before, and even have some more that are still coming out in the near future. And EconEd is a small world, so we've all known <laughs> each other for a while. But we're excited, um, Brian. I guess we haven't. I don't know if you knew the drill. I, I maybe forgot to share the drill with you ahead of time, but we always like to start by sharing what we're drinking today. So He does listen to every episode, yeah, so I think so he, I, he yeah, should I know, know that, the drill by now. That's the most important part, usually, of the episode. Good deal. Good deal so. um, all right. So you guys are beer drinkers. I've started drinking beer in part because I listen to this podcast. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you can be arrested for contributing to the you know, corruption of the young or anything like that. But uh, because I'm not a huge beer drinker, I did not want to um, make a fool of myself here. And, um, and because on Saturday, Saturday was one of my favorite days of the year. It's Derby day. So, uh, so today I am drinking the, uh, the house drink at my house. This is, uh, our version of a mint julep. It's made with crown Royal and simple syrup. Usually it's mint syrup. And, uh, also usually we dump a bunch of powdered sugar on top. And the rule is you can't wipe your face until the, until the bucket's <laughs> empty. And we do usually make it in a bucket, but I thought that would end up, you know, things would go totally sideways if I had a bucket full of, of uh, Crown Royal here. So I'm drinking the house version of the uh, of the mint julep. I have a great story for this in a second, Matt. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go next. I can. I'll add my story later. Sticking with the Virginia beers, uh, triple note from Star Hill Brewery. Uh, it is a fruited Belgian style golden ale. So I'm going with a kind of a fruited, a Belgian ale. Very cool. Very cool. And I've been tired of you just doing all the local beers. I am doing a Rusty Rail Brewing Moon Math IPA, Hazy IPA. I actually have not had this one before, so I'm excited. I act, so I actually just went up to, right, so I went to State College last week, uh, and my friend actually got me an, uh, two six-packs of Rusty Rail beers that I have not had, and mostly it is just full of IPAs, um, that, that, yeah, because that those are the ones I haven't had from I should have got a rusty rail beer, but I thought about I thought about making it a Pennsylvania beer since both of you are in Pennsylvania. Uh, but got to stick with my Virginia yeah. beers. Well, um, uh, cheers as we start the conversation. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Um, so my uh, my pint glass today, Happy Valley Brewing Company. So I do I, I'll say I'll, I'm semi Pennsylvania here. Um, Brian, I have a great story. Mint julep is actually my favorite mixed drink. Oh, like that's I think that's the best mixed drink like ever created. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm going to tell you the most pretentious story and my most pretentious experience around a mint julep because I was so mad. I went to a bar in state college, uh, February or something. It was like a regular bar. It was actually a whiskey bar. Um, it was called local whiskey. So I don't live there. I can say the name. Um, it is a whiskey bar. And I was like, Ooh, you know what? I'm really craving a mint julep. Uh, but it was February. So I sit at the bar and I'm like, I would like a mint julep. And he looked at me and he goes, we're not going to make you that. Uh, we don't have any uh, mints not in season right now. And I stared at him for a second. I was like, is he messing with me? Is this like one of those like jokes where like, right, where a bartender is trying to be funny. And I was like, no, really, I want a mint julep. And he goes, no, really, we don't have mint because it's not in season right now. 
And I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what I want now. Cause I was really settled on this. And then like the very next day I went to a different bar and I was like, Hey, do you have mint? And they look over, they go, yeah, of course we have mint. Why would we not have mint? And I was like, just curious. This other bar told me it wasn't in season. And he, I was like, can you make me a mint julep? And they made it immediately. Um, and I never went back to that bar ever oh. again. And anytime yeah. people would invite me there, I go, I'm not going there. The bartender's pretentious because they won't go get mint from Wegmans. They got, I guess they grow their own mint and they won't use anything else. No, that's horrible. I, I was uh, down in Jamaica and was on a tour off of the property and sat next to a guy who was there on his honeymoon. And his job was, he was a mint farmer. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's not a job. I, you know, mint just, I can't stop just, it from growing <laughs> around here. That's why you have a whole pile of it in your drink. Well, exactly. It's funny. like the first, uh, first mint of the year, but it, it certainly won't be the last. So funny. Matt, I guess, is your favorite mixed drink uh, a Moscow Mule? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's, a, that's like a neighbor. It's a, that's yeah. close enough. It's in a copper mug. It's a, <laughs> so we're here today. Uh, today is Wednesday, May 10th, and this will be the first time we are going to record and then release the episode the next day on May 11th. The inflation report came out, and that's part of the reason why Brian's going to join us. The three of us were going to talk through the latest inflation report and discuss a little bit about what it said, what the reports say in general, what we find interesting, confusing, and what it means for everybody. So, which, uh, Brian, uh, Jadrian, either of you want to start us off by what, what, what were the headlines on the inflation report today? So I think we always define the inflation report. So I feel like we should define it first, and I'll take the easy one, and I'll define <laughs> it. Um because I've said this multiple times before, I'm not a macroeconomist, so I will probably get this completely wrong. I would say my simplest version, and so Brian or Matt, uh, you can correct me, please, if I'm overselling it or or missing something important. Uh, it is essentially how a bundle of prices changes over a set, certain period of time. Uh, so the BLS takes uh, a basket of goods that uh, has historically changed it sometimes, but not other times, and they correct for things like quality. But essentially, imagine like you have a shopping cart of stuff, and some of that stuff is like your rent and your electricity and your food, uh, and then they compare that price over time. Uh, and the inflation rate is basically how much was it last year, if you get an annualized number, how much was it last year, how much does that cart cost today? The percentage difference is the inflation report. That's my very simple 30-second explanation. Do you think I did a good job? Yeah, that's that's not too bad actually. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean I used a shopping cart. I used a shopping cart example in class. Okay. You know, it's like I'd say it's like you're going into the world's biggest uh, Costco and you've got the world's giant most giant shopping cart and just Put a house in there. <laughs> one things of one of everything in there and then when you get up to the cashier they're just looking at you like what is this? But you get your receipt and all you're doing is comparing the receipt this month to the receipt mm-hmm. next month and seeing if the price has changed. Yep. Gotcha. Yep, and they try to weight it. I mean they base it it's based on urban consumers market basket so it tries to figure out how much will people pay on in for rent for electricity for you know eating out at restaurants for I don't know if I ever actually, I don't know if I get to tell you this I was actually part of uh the inflation report one once like in an economist dream I was in grad <laughs> school somebody knocks on my door and I open it and they're like hi I'm from the BLS well they right they said Bureau of Labor Statistics um, and they were like, we're collecting data for the monthly or the CPI report or whatever. And like they used my apartment or the census, right? They used my apartment 
uh, as one of the data points in like the rental calculation in my part of Washington. And I was like, this is a dream. Yes, I would love to tell you how much my rent is. <laughs> right, because they were like, how many bathrooms do you have? How many bedrooms do you have? How big is this apartment? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's- It was so cool. I was they... like, so, I was nerdy. And so the, of course the data collector was just like, what's wrong with this dude? <laughs> And that's that's but that's you know that's a good idea of what they do right they try to figure yeah. out what what are the average basket of goods that individuals buy and then how do the prices change from and we get a report every month the the headline number is often what is often the annualized number mm -hmm. so jadrian you took the easy one on defining it brian do you want to try to summarize what do you think the headline is from the inflation report released today. Well, based on all the news stories out there, the headline is that it was the uh, CPI came in lower than expected. So inflation wasn't up quite as much as um, as some of the economists polled predicted. And uh, it, that sort of, you know, made people happy, I guess. And then they looked at the numbers a little bit more carefully. I don't know if you like the stock market oftentimes overreacts to what the inflation number is. So the market went up, then the market went really, really down. And by the end of the day, it was it was actually just down a little bit. Um, so like to me, that's that's one of the more interesting things when the mm -hmm. inflation number is released is how the stock market reacts. And just it, it just goes crazy when the numbers are either above mm -hmm. or below what people expect. Um, so to me, I guess, you know, that's the biggest thing um, as far as the, the news overall. I saw one news story today and I looked at a lot, but I saw one news story who just nailed it. And they said, yeah, okay, the inflation rate is down, but prices are still going up faster than what everybody would like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's for the normal person, that's what we should be taking away for the average person. That's what we should be taking away from the inflation statistic is that, okay, it's not as bad as it was 12 months ago, but it's still going up. And when you look at it from a statistical perspective, if it's going up from a higher base, it's that, that's so that's so bad. You know, people are like, "Oh, it's not going up as quickly." Great, but CPI. So the CPI is measured as a basically it's like a, a three digit number with something a couple numbers past a decimal point. And so we're looking at whether that number has changed. And if it goes up, there's inflation. If it goes down, there's deflation. But the number gets bigger and bigger every month because we're having inflation every month. And now the increase isn't as fast, but it's an increase over a bigger number, which means prices are still going up way faster than you want them to. I never thought of that. I never, like, I never connected those dots. That makes, yeah, absolute sense, right? Like a 4% change from a base of like 50 is very different than a 4% change of a base of a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's it's an, exactly no, right. I mean, that's, that's a fascinating point, right? Because Year over year, it's 4.9%. That's what the numbers came out today, it said. So mm -hmm. from last year, April report to this year's April report, prices are 4.9% higher. But if they were 10% higher the year before that, basically it compared to if it was zero the year before that, that's an extra half a point, half a percentage point, right? I mean, that the prices are up overall. That's fascinating. So so one of the things I struggle with in terms of when I talk to people about inflation and I don't know, I just can't, I can't seem to say it right. So maybe y'all can, maybe y'all can come up with the right phrase to make this sound better. When I talk about the inflation rate coming down, people always want to seem to say that prices are coming down. And I'm like, no, that's actually not it. Like the inflation rate coming down, it's sort of like what Brian said is the prices are still going up, but just not as much as they were going up before. And so it's really hard. I don't know why I, I really struggle to talk to people nope. about de 
decreasing inflation is still increasing prices. Um, and that def- actual deflation would be concerning um, if you saw like widespread prices just suddenly dropping kind of all over the place. I don't know. Do you have a good way of like when you teach it, that or when you talk to people about that? I don't know that I teach it well. Disinflation is the word that I use. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that that's the right. I don't know that that's the right phrasing for it. Right. The the inflation rate is going up, but not as much. And that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm um so yeah and that, that's another i mean if you think about what the fed's trying to do the fed wants the rate to go down but they don't want it to go to zero yeah they they still are expecting or, or even desiring some inflation so you know if we get to the two percent the fed will be happy happy the news will kind of it'll won't be on the front page anymore but it's still prices increasing so, mm-hmm. all right, should we be happy about prices continually increasing? I guess, you know, I guess, guess it kind of gets to what are you prepared to uh, to accept, um, and can you manage that? So, when when inflation goes up, sort of unexpectedly, it's really difficult for people to deal with because they didn't they didn't budget for it. They're not they're not getting raises to help them combat that inflation. But um, but if it's a steady two percent, yeah, prices keep going up, but you know, I can, I can kind of build that into my, build that into my budget. So actually speaking, as you said that, I I have a question. I think Matt and I sort of talked about this, I mean, months ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm curious on this stance as well, too. Um, Often we hear people talk about, right, getting raises that are outpacing inflation. So this is not going to be a, well, higher wages causes inflation. I'm not going that direction. But I, you know, you hear these conversations about, people needing raises that are higher than inflation to not be ready for it. But it's almost feels like you never hear the other side of that story of, right? Like inflation wasn't that much. So we're not going to give you that much of a raise. Like I still expect a raise every year. Um, And so I always wonder like in some senses where, so I think we talked about this in like an income smoothing type ideas that some years I might be worse off where inflation is higher than what my raise is. But in other years I should have, pay raise is greater than what my inflation is. I wonder why we don't, we sort of ignore one half of that story and only get mad about when we're not meeting inflation. I actually had someone who runs a business ask me about this. They said, okay. all right, if inflation comes down, I'm not going to be able to cut my workers' wages. Yeah. So, so am I in a position now where I'm permanently going to have to pay people more? And I, I think, I think you are. It's like, you can't, people just won't accept lower wages mm-hmm. once they, no. you know, especially if they've been in a job for a while. Now you might be able to hire new workers in at slightly lower wages, mm-hmm. but that for, I mean, I think it's because we're dealing with people and, yeah. uh, and oftentimes we, yeah. the, the people part of it gets lost in the data, but because we're dealing with people, it's, it's really difficult to say, Hey, you know, inflation wasn't so high. So we're going to either not give you as much of a raise or maybe even cut your wages. And, you know, that you're going to lose your workers if you do and, that. I mean, and that's part of the reason why we see recessions often following drops in inflation, because, you know, a contract might be built on an expectation of 6% or 7 or 8% inflation. Mm-hmm. And so somebody gets 7%, but then inflation was only 3%. Well, the firm is paying an extra 4% above what they were paying, but they're not making up for it in prices. And some of the firms then have to go out of business and or, and or lay off employees because they can't cover the cost. That's always one of the reasons why cuts in inflation 
why I've, why I've thought cuts in inflation would lead to uh, higher unemployment rates, especially if they're not expected, whereas increases in inflation could lead to lower unemployment rates because I'm like, oh, wow, I'm getting a 7% raise. Like, well, yeah, but inflation was 10% last year, or you know, right? I mean, if somebody's worked, and, and anybody who's on a union contract, for example, where you're on these set wages, these set increases over two or three years, when inflation spikes to 10%, right, the firms are doing well for that year, year and a half. So as you say that, we should actually probably mention the other types of inflation. And I think oh. this is where... I, so I I say from an economic standpoint, as an economics professor, this is the part of like the conversations I absolutely love. But I also feel like this is the part of the conversation where I feel like people look at economists and go, what's what's wrong with y'all? Um, right. So we've been talking about headline inflation, sort of all items, which is four point nine percent. But economists like to have we have we have other levels of inflation, too. So there is what's known as core inflation. And again, just double check me. And if I'm wrong, just say I'm wrong. Uh, my understanding is it's inflation without energy prices in it, and but it still includes home price or rental prices. Energy is that super core. They have a new one, right? They have super core super inflation. Core. Yeah. So, that ener- energy and food, I think, are the main core. In core, right. Okay. Right. So yeah. you take okay. those oh, out. It is, oh, it's energy and food are the ones no, that and, No, I'm sorry. All items except for food and energy. Uh, okay. Food uh, and energy inflation. come out. Yeah. That's yeah. core inflation. So that's things like clothes. Uh, transportation like what shelter, sort of things would entertainment include? yeah entertainment. entertainment shelter yeah and then the super core is the core but then you subtract out rent rent yeah so i'll say this is why economists love it because economists like to talk about these sort of differentiators so like i, I the example i was given my courses is like the unemployment rate there's one number that everybody in the country looks at which they don't necessarily get right either but there's one number that gets reported and then economists are like look at these other six measures and we get super nerdy about Yes. All these like six different measures of what's going on. And I feel like inflation is the same sort of way where you yeah. have you hear one number that people really, really care about. And we're all over here going, well, but but the core inflation is doing this. Um, so we can talk about that because actually this is where the reason I wanted to go with this is sort of going back to that budget idea. Um, when I think about things like rent, for example, so I mean, I own a home. We I think all three of us own our homes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about somebody renting, I, I don't know if this is so much in my like, living in a college town mindset, like the rents were always year-long leases. Um, I know that there are places that have three-month, six-month, one-month leases and things like that. And so I always sort of wonder when rental prices make up a big chunk of that basket of what people are spending money on, for a lot of people, I guess a lot of it comes down to when you sign that lease, you know, if rental prices are up, but if I'm locked into a lease, my maybe it's not changing um, by that much, but it also could just be, I'm very privileged and I own a home. And so my mortgage is the same every single month and I don't see anything about it. Is that something that I think people should, is that something that people like should worry about, do worry about? Like, I I don't, I I have no context here of things like that. I think you might have to restate. I'm sorry. So they should worry about what should they, or should they? So should people who are in like a year long lease, for example. So if, uh, if rental prices are like the big driver of inflation, so let's say that they are, right? Like maybe food's really not changing by that much, um, but it's really like coming heavily from rent or from gas prices or something that people aren't consuming. Is that something that people should be, con- should people be concerned that like they're going to see price changes later? Should people not be worried about it because it doesn't affect them? I think we've talked about this in a macro stance. I have a hard time connecting with things that I that don't like personally affect me. It's so like gas prices don't really affect me. Rental prices don't affect me. And so it's hard for me to like really know yeah which things I should be really concerned about. 
It's a good question. I mean, I guess it depends. So how much have you locked in? Essentially, by owning a house, you're hedging. In, in some ways, it's almost a hedge against future price risk, right? From that point of view. If you're renting, is it the inflation that makes it concerning? You know, is it the inflation I mean, are, are people rate going change, up? Like, are, are landlords changing people's rents? Is that a thing that people do? Like, are they really kind of jacking up rents? Based oh, year to year? Oh, yeah, sure. I have no idea. Yeah. I've rented a oh. home in like a decade. Well, I mean, I don't think they're, I, I don't think landlords are changing it based on the inflation rate. I think they're changing it based on market demand, right? And if, if they're, you know, because there's a set number of spaces available and there's, they'd get a good sense. But if, if a year later they think, you know what, inflation's up 10% and I'm pretty sure I can get 10 or 12% more, I'm, they absolutely would, would raise the mm -hmm. prices that much. So I would think that would be a big concern for anybody renting. And yeah, I think, you know, I felt pretty insulated from rent prices have been a big driver of inflation. I've felt somewhat mm -hmm. insulated from that recently. Brian, yeah, what's I, your take? I, so I love, right now, there's one thing I tell my students that I love about inflation, and that is that I locked in at a super low mortgage rate. And so when inflation goes up, I'm repaying money that's worth less than I borrowed. Mm -hmm. Um but for renters, it's, you know, you, you can't lock in for more than, I don't know, however, however long, I guess. A year, a year. I like a year yeah. I've maybe seen two years, but that's so rare. Yeah. And like even, as a landlord, why would I want to lock somebody in for like, especially oh, no, you don't, you don't want to lock them in unless like there's something special about that place. No. And, and so Matt made a good point about supply as, as an issue mm -hmm. with housing. So if you've got, if you're trying to build new uh, rental units at this time, when your costs are going through the roof then rents are going to be rents are going to be really high mm -hmm. and every time you have an opportunity to raise rents you're going to you're going to do that or you're going to cut back on you know maintenance or you know some you know going to try to cut back on whatever you're, is driving your costs so um it, there's so many places where it's hard to build mm -hmm. whether it's zoning laws or just you know local opposition to building that it um you know keeps a keeps a cap on supply and that that's one of the things that drives inflation is when you have supply restraints or supply constraints and demand for a particular product is, is going, it keeps rising, but the supply doesn't change. So you have that, what do we call it? Demand push. Is that right? <laughs> it's, um, push or pull uh, inflation. Yeah. I, yeah. I always get them. I always get them backwards. And then I know. Yeah. students I are know. like, wait, but it says in the book, it's push or pull. <laughs> but yeah, so it's demand. Didn't um, you write? Did I would say, don't, didn't don't you they say in, in your book? Brian? In your book, it says this. <laughs> I got to um, fight. I got to fight with one of the other authors on that. And for, so, for those who don't know, um, Brian is author of a Essentials of Economics, co-author of, of an Essentials of Economics textbook through Norton Publishing with uh, Dirk Matier and Lee Kopic. Uh, fantastic book. I didn't teach the Essentials version, but I used Dirk and Lee's yeah. books when I was most recently teaching. Jadrian, you brought up a point that I think is um, kind of in an offhand way here in that, you know, should we be worried about rent? But we talked about food and energy, mm -hmm. right? The inflation rate overall doesn't mean it's the inflation, the amount of prices go up for any one product. And looking actually, and we'll put a link to this in the description, the Bureau of Labor Statistics report which when the inflation report comes out, I'd recommend going to it. It's, it's you know, it's it's a wonderful read. It's leisurely, you know, it's like <laughs> something to do in, for fun. But they actually have a really great chart 
where it shows all items, it's 4.9%, all items, less food and energy, it's a little over 5%. So the core is a little over 5%. And this is for the past year. You know, what has it been year over year? Food prices are up. I'm just looking at the chart and it doesn't have the numbers exactly. It's about seven and a half percent over the past year. But energy prices are down about five percent over the past year. And my guess is a lot of that's the drop in gasoline. So each specific market has its own demand and supply issues that push the price. But it's a pretty huge difference between food prices being up dramatically and energy prices being down dramatically over the past year. So let me let me follow up and I'm going to ask you two questions that I've gotten before that I struggled to answer with. Um, and I think this kind of links all together, too. And I think it goes back to the, you know, I'm not I don't feel the impact. And so, like, I don't have good answers for this. So somebody who is being impacted by things like food prices, energy prices, what sort of things can people actually do to like really make a change. So like, right. Like I think the the super cheesy answer is right. Change what you're in your bundle. Don't eat chicken, eat beef, like that sort of thing. But like, realistically, I feel like somebody who previously was already, I think Brian said it earlier about like being at a budget, right? Like if you have budgeted this for groceries and then all of a sudden large chunks of things are increasing, right? Like the headline stuff was, you know, eggs were such a huge yeah. change, but eggs are such a staple dish of like really easy protein what sort of like real changes could somebody make as a response to um, you know 7% increases in prices of just food on average? Well, one of the things around me, so I live out in the country. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess you could consider this the country. We're, we're I would consider 45... it the country, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're about 45 minutes outside of Pittsburgh and um, it's, it's relatively rural. But one of the things that happened out here uh, was that people started raising their own chickens. Um, it's like, I mean, people who were well off mm-hmm. started raising their own chickens and people who were not well off started raising their own chickens. And, you know, that's, you know, you sort of go back to kind of this farming mentality where oh, I'll just grow my own food. Seeds are pretty cheap. Chicks are mm-hmm. really cheap, although you do have to feed them. You know, they, they have to grow a little bit before they can start, uh, you know, start laying. But um, that's really not, productive in terms, you know, if we think about it from a, from a macro perspective, we don't want people (laughs) growing their own food and raising their own chickens because that takes away from more productive uses of their time. Yeah. That's like chapter two in your book, I think. think Yeah. yeah, Something like that. (laughs) That's one of the real early chapters. We don't want everybody doing this. No, no. no. So, you know, it's, it's when people try to combat inflation for certain things on their own, it, the whole economy, it, it might be good for them at the micro level, but the whole economy suffers as people move away from what they're good at, what they specialize in. Yeah. I mean, that's, you, you asked like the super cheesy answer of mm-hmm. changing the bundle, but that, that, that's the one I default to, right? I don't yeah. know what else to do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, one grocery item that's gone up dramatically in price that our family consumes way too much of, so, um, it's soda. Yeah. So is that because the soda is more expensive or the aluminum for the cans is more expensive? Or I don't know. Yeah. So the two liter bottles are, they've gone up as well, similar mm-hmm. into a similar fashion. The, so I've bought Walmart diet Coke and I bought wise markets diet Coke. Do I think that is as good as diet Coke? No, I do not. Um, but it, it's a reasonable substitute and it's less than half the cost and 
could I mean could could I could we really just buy all Diet Coke? Well, sure we could, mm-hmm. but we drank enough where it's actually a sizable difference, monetary oh. difference for our family by switching from. And it's you know this isn't an entire switch. We have still some Diet Coke, but then maybe after the first Diet Coke in the morning or two Diet Cokes in the morning, then I might switch to the other type of beverage. So yes, to everybody, I drink way too much Diet Soda. That's you haven't you haven't <laughs> tried getting those uh, those devices that'll carbonate the water for Soda you. stream. Yeah, we attempted that once. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. false advertising. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure it goes great for some people. I don't know. And once again. There's a time cost there, right? Is that the yeah. productive use of time? So um, one thing kind of just wanted to raise in the report that I think is interesting for people to think about is what we've been hearing about is the, you know, you hear about the 4.9% year over year. And last month you heard about whatever it was, 5% or 5.1 or whatever it was, but they do estimate how much it went up in the past month. And that, you know, it's essentially the cumulative, I mean, it might be a hair more complicated this than this, but the cumulative increases month by month essentially create the annual increase. Not quite because, you know, if you have a 1% increase one month, then the 0.4 is built upon that. But the, uh, so I always think it's interesting to see in the past month, how much did things increase? And, you know, for the past month in April, it was 0.4%. That was the increase, which averages out to 4.8, which is right about where we are for 4.9. But sometimes those numbers are pretty different where, you know, whatever, oh, the inflation was this much year over year, but in the past month, it was either much higher or much lower if you tried to annualize that out. Yeah. And when I saw that number, so I looked at the the report right when it came out and I saw that 4.4%, I thought, uh uh-oh. This is really, really going to be bad because last month it was only 0.1. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, we're in, this is going to be so much higher than people expected. And you know, the markets are going to melt down and you know, the policymakers are going to be pulling their hair out. But because the the annualized rate wasn't as bad, that's like you were back back to what you were saying earlier. That's the headline number. Mm-hmm. Most people look at the year over year, they don't look at the month to month. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the point four would indicate, I mean, if this is the steady state, like that 4.9% that we're talking about, it contains all those high inflation months mm-hmm. that we still had in April, May, June, July. But then we've had some lower stretches. So point four would indicate that, okay, if this is the steady state, if this is the equilibrium, we, we're going to be at 5% inflation if things don't, don't drop over time. I have a uh, fun data for you guys that I think you'll like, because we're coming up at, uh, I think we're coming up at like our normal transition yep. time, but I want to share two things with you that I I just, I found. I don't know if you've ever realized this. Um, I actually was able to ask a BLS economist about this. Um, have you ever noticed that when the BLS reports like inflation or like real values, nominal values, it always talks about like the 1982, $84, like it gives you those dollars from the eighties. Okay. Uh, Brian shaking his head yes. Matt, do you know what I'm talking about? Well, you said the base year is 82 the to ba- 84. The yeah. base year is 82 to 84 dollars. Yeah. Uh, we had a BLS economist come and talk to our students about just you know, what are jobs at the BLS, what does the BLS do, things like that. And um, you know, they made I was there because it was part of the econ club, and they made the mistake of saying, Does anybody have any questions? Anyone can ask questions, like it doesn't matter how hard the question is, I'll try to answer it. And I was like, I've always wanted to know this. I was like, why is the default 1982 to 84? Like, why is that the thing? Yeah. Uh, and in the moment she goes, 
I have no idea that nobody has ever asked me that question. That's awesome. Really? I can't believe yeah. no one's asked that. That's she said, no one, no one has ever asked her that. Uh, so she did eventually like go ask like one of the, econ- like another economist, like what's going on. Um, so this was super, super interesting. So uh, Brian earlier mentioned this. I want to go back to it. He talked about the CPI, the like the bundle of prices is like you said, you even said it, it's this three digit number. That's why. Um, so the CPI is the consumer price index. Um, it is j- like the idea is it's supposed to be indexed to 100 and like that way you can kind of tell prices and different things like that. So the CPI is currently 302. And so the idea is since 1982, it's gone up like three times as much. Um, and so what she said was basically that as the number gets bigger, they will eventually revise that down and reweight it to a new year so that it goes like basically if it gets too far from 100, they will reweight the chains in order to make it 100 because they don't want it to be super far away. And so they said 1982, 84 was like this very special year, like a combination of years where they changed essentially all of the weights in the basket. So they made a massive change in weighting to reset it to a hundred. So it will eventually, we won't use 1982, $84 eventually. She said that it's going to change. They basically said that where they start to like talk about it is essentially once it gets over 500 is that they'll start to talk about like, we need to reset this Mm -hmm. back down to a hundred. That'll be a while still. It'll be a while. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Not at this pace, right? Actually, you're right. Maybe not at this pace. <laughs> I mean, if we keep um, up five to 10% a year, it's not long. So The other thing that I have for you, uh, Matt, while you were talking, the BLS does track soda prices. So I have them for you. Um, this is the average price of all soft drinks in a 12-pack, 12-ounce cans cost per 12 ounces. So it's a per can cost. Okay. I have converted it. So I have the Fred, I'm using Fred. So, so it's that's per the, can cost on average. So I could give you the per can cost, or I could do percent change from a year ago if you would like so the inflation can I rate. Yes, the per can. So this is the. Okay, let me switch it back. A, yeah, so, you're so buying yeah, a 12 so pack. You're buying a 12 pack. What is the average cost of one of the cans of soda in the 12 pack right now? Is that uh, what you're saying? Like April you, 2023. I, I, I can guess. I'm not looking. I want to guess. Yeah. April um, 2023. So yeah, it is um, the most recent one. So it is, I, I will, will say city the average. average cost of a can in a 12 pack at a store right now. And I'm trying to think through here from the generics to generics are a smaller percentage to Diet Cokes. So a 12 pack of Diet Coke right now, usually you're paying over six. So that's over 50, but others are, I'll guess 51 cents. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> 55 cents. Okay. I, I, um, I do trick too much. <laughs> yeah. So let me give you the percent change from a year ago. That way you can have the inflation rate for it. Yeah. Uh, April, 2023, the inflation rate for sodas one year before 15.5%. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Uh, the so reason I'm... you started to cut back, if I had to guess, it was probably around last summer was roughly when you were like, we need to slow down. So in the fall semester, was that when y'all were like, this is getting too expensive? I honestly don't. I don't remember. I've been buying the wise markets. So the there. I'll tell you the August number, That's which is why I think you, this is when yeah. you probably noticed it. August from August 2020. So actually, this is yeah August 2022. So from 2021 to 2022, yep. 31 percent increase. Ooh. Whoa, <laughs> that's brutal. Um, well, the the generics for wise up, which is their seven up. To mm-hmm. me, it tastes great. I like. I don't even ever. I have no desire to buy a diet sprite if I don't have to. 
but the diet cokes you know that i don't know i think diet cokes just taste good and they have a little more caffeine yeah okay so i'm not hallucinating or it's no. not just our market um, it's been going up for a while so this you is the time this is usually the time of the show and brian you can if you want to participate or not where we try to bring up some pop culture clips and i have a pretty good one for inflation i don't know if uh, i'm happy to go first if I'm going to have you go first. I'm going to very quickly look at my website if I can find I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Dan Keister and his economics of the office. And I know I think Mm -hmm. Dirk Batir was a collaborator on Mm -hmm. that with a couple others as well. But uh, there is a clip where Dwight Schrute creates Schrute Bucks. And the Schrute Buck is this fictitious dollar for performance rewards. However... At the end of, you know, there's a bonus part where Creed prints a lot of counterfeit shroot bucks and discusses flooding the market with shroot bucks in order to depreciate the value of the shroot buck that Dwight is trying to cash out, which we haven't really talked about, like, Mm -hmm. the causes of inflation very much on this episode. But one of the, I mean, the he caused and Milton Friedman's phrasing was inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And it's just, it's correlated whether you believe it's always and everywhere or not, it is highly correlated with the money supply. And I'm, I'm pretty close to the Friedman camp thinking, yes, it's yeah. what is the money supply? Now money supply is a weird definition because how much is digital versus paper that's, that gets tougher. But uh, if you are interested in that clip, go to economics of the office.com type in just type in shroot for Dwight Schrute you could watch the clip but it's a fantastic clip we'll also link to that in the description and the show notes all right Ryan, do you want to go I yeah can, I'll go I can next. So, so this was tough for me because there are there are a few really good illustrations of inflation but um oh gosh I'm not sure which one to pick I'm gonna have to go with with Harry Potter I know so, that's that was gonna be one of mine Oh no! Well, I I bet mine's different. I bet mine's different than yours. So, um, if you look at the price, if you if you watch the movies or or read the books, more importantly, read the books. If you look at the price of things in the first book versus you know how they progress throughout the course of the of the series, there are some wild, wild price differences. So, Hmm. the one that really stands out Hmm. is the price of the newspaper because they're they're very specifically given. So at the beginning of the series, it costs you five newts, which is one of the monetary units in the wizard world, to buy a newspaper. And then very specifically, like five years later, the price of the paper is down to one newt. Mm-hmm. So there's actually deflation for that specific product. But if you go online to some of the stuff that um, J.K. Rowling's uh, put out, the price goes up to seven in a really short period of time. So so the prices are like bouncing around for this thing. And I think it's really interesting when you compare that to the price of Harry's wand. So in the first year, he buys a wand and the wand cost, um, you know, I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong here. And, you know, no Potter files out there. T- I mean, I've, I've, it's been a while, but I want to say it was about 10 galleons. It was seven. It was actually seven. seven. Okay, I'm so, not that far off. Which, which isn't that much considering this is the most important thing you have as a wizard. And then in book four... Harry's at the at the um at the Triwizard like international tournament, yep, they have this big tournament. tournament, and he buys this cheap thing called an omniocular. It's like the special binoculars, and the omnioculars are ten galleons. So this hmm. this cheap knockoff like 
souvenir cost three, like 30, well, a little more than 30% more than his most important tool in the wizarding world. And so um, people have kind of investigated whether or not, you know, what's going on in the wizarding world and why is there, why are prices so radically different? It could be just that, you know, JK Rowling didn't care what she put down as prices. (laughs) That's probably what it is, but um, you know, it's interesting. But an economist about, will notice. That's exactly right. So <laughs> yeah. I'm actually working on a book on Harry Potter and um, and economics, and like there's this enormous chapter in there about money and inflation, and so so there's there's that. I thought you were going to pick the opening one where Dudley is getting birthday gifts. Oh gosh! Uh, so I thought that was the one. So Dudley gets his birthday gifts and he counts them and he goes, "This is fewer than I got last year," and mm-hmm. they rush out and go buy him like two more birthday gifts so that he yeah. has more. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was going to be part of like the artificial artificialness. Um, okay, so I will say I have I have two. I would say I have two, maybe three. But I, part of it is I don't want to spoil one of them. I would really like you to be able to watch it. So I'm not going to pick the one that I think is the best one. I'm going to leave that as like a hanger, and I'll tell you about it um, so that you can go find it yourself. I think the best one, and I hope that we can clip this. Actually, we could probably clip it into the sound bit to make it really good. The Bank of Jamaica. Uh, a couple of years ago, actually released a reggae song um, about monetary policy, inflation, and they talk about the benefits of low, stable inflation. When I want it too low, when inflation's stable and predictable, that's the way to go. Um, it is actually put out by their central bank, um, and it, it's got this reggae beat to it, uh, and they talk about just monetary policy and stuff like that. Absolutely fascinating. I'm going to assume that we could probably like grab 20 seconds of it um, and probably lay it in there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's their central bank, right? It's not like a it's not like a Bank of America. So like, I feel like it's not a private company. They're probably okay with it. Um, So that's the one I'm going to pick as my favorite one. Uh, The one I was on the fence about was Billy Paul's "Let the Dollar Circulate," Mm -hmm. um, which is just so. I I think we've talked about this in a previous one. I operate the Econ Media Library which just has tons of video clips, music, all sorts of stuff on it. That video might be the highest viewed macro video that I have. So micro just like wipes everything out. Like micro is just so huge in terms of video clips. Uh, And some of that could just be that macro professors and teachers don't know that there's video clips, Um, maybe. But like that's hands down, like every year, that's the top one. Hmm. Uh, So I was close between those two. But the one I want you to, I'm going to, I'll briefly tell you about it, but I won't tell you the ending. I think y'all all need to go watch this video because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Matt, you've actually seen it because Lee Kopic starts all of his presentations with it uh, because it's so good. So Brian, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it is a Thai bank. Uh, it's a Thai bank commercial. And it's the story of this little kid who dreams about being an astronaut. Uh, and so he's saving up money over and over. And it talks about how he's like saving and not going out with his friends and not buying a toy. Um, it is an absolute really good commercial uh i can't pronounce the name of the bank but uh if you like if you go to econ media library search like thai savings or inflation um it'll pop up absolutely amazing i'm video. guessing if you just it. put in thai there's not you, can, you don't have <laughs> we're not going to be sifting through hundreds of examples from thailand right you'd be surprised i think actually i'm gonna i'm gonna try it on youtube and see if it works if i just type in thai bank commercial yeah I, actually I, I did that and it came up thai it's the, the dream. yeah this like the first one i have is this thai bank commercial is brutal <laughs> um <laughs> It's a it's a very good one, but yeah. So we I'll go with the Bank of Jamaica. We won't spoil, so the audience can catch it. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it. It's, we it's will a put good that one. in the show notes as well. So. Yeah, I just I got I really got to say real quickly just something 
I just thought of something and that is planet money. The planet money podcast has this song that they've dug up from the seventies yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, by sugar daddy and the gumbo rue. It's yeah. It's the about inflation. the song yeah. is inflation. And so they, they're, it's, it's, you can't believe somebody would have, would have written this song, but because inflation was so bad in the seventies, mm-hmm. like this was, this was top of mind for people. And now they're, you know, they're, sort of resurrecting this song out of the, the the vault of forgotten favorites. I completely forgot about that. So actually the story behind that is I actually think Planet Money, st- they found it, exactly like said, they found a recording, yeah. but it had never been like officially recorded. Oh. They started a recording agency and then recorded, like they like transferred it over. Cause I think like the guy who sang it died. Cause it's, it's like 50 years old. Right. Um, like there's a really cool kind of backstory. They were doing it. If I remember this episode, they were doing it as like a part of like the, how does the music industry work? And then they started a recording company. It's I think it's called like, Oh yeah, it's called planet money records. Um, so yeah, they started yeah. it and then they recorded this. That's actually a really good song. I've listened to that a couple of times. <laughs> it's actually really interesting. Well, before we go, Brian, uh, appreciate you ha- having you on here today. Appreciate you joining us. Want to give you a moment. I know you have um, a book that's out. You, you mentioned the Harry Potter's coming out, but anything you wanted to plug for the audience? Oh, I guess I should shamelessly plug why Superman doesn't take over the world um, about superheroes and economics. Uh, it's been out for a couple of years. Uh, don't buy used copies, buy new copies. And, you know, that would be fantastic. I'd appreciate that. Um, let's see anything else. Oh yeah. I guess uh YouTube site is I underscore run underscore econ. So um, I'm, trying to take my love of running and my love of economics out into the world. I've got, the problem is I find these awesome stories and then to, I want to support them. And so there's this one I'm working on that's, that's from a little town outside of, uh, well, I guess Marion's a little town, a, a littler town outside of Marion, Indiana called the fountain that had this huge commons problem. Um, I'm trying to deal with the Marion County library system and they've been great, but all their resources are on microfiche. So hopefully I'll have that one out soon um i've got one about the tallahassee half marathon that i ran a couple months ago um so i underscore run underscore econ um and then um yeah so those are the two big things i'm working on hopefully have the harry potter book under contract hopefully soon um but uh yeah thanks it's been really fun it's great hearing you guys on the uh, on the pod and uh thanks for having me on the question i have one final question actually a question for you will you listen to this episode since you're on it. Oh, that's a great question. Be- actually, because you, you, then you wouldn't, be, you, then you can't say that you've listened to all the episodes. I'm going to have to now because, <laughs> because yeah, I have to say I've listened to all of them. Now I'll also see if my wife will listen to and, and, uh, and critique, critique the, uh, the performance here. But, I'm sure she'll happily do that. That's yeah, I'm sure too. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. But well, thank you. Thank you both for the time today and look forward to seeing y'all in the next one. So. I almost made it. Brian, how much is in that copper cup? None. There's the answer. None. Yep. That's the answer. This is fruited. Cheers, guys. Cheers, everybody. Yeah, cheers. Cheers.